Welcome back to Held and Healed. This podcast is a resource of resources to help you on your healing journey, especially for women who are rebuilding their lives after abuse. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast, and we invite you to share with others because our desire is that we would all learn to know better so that we can do better. And so as there's a specific topic that uh, I share about, if you think of someone, if someone comes to mind as you're listening, if it's safe to do so, please pass on the link so that others can join us on this healing journey. If it's not safe to share links with someone, maybe they are still in um, an abusive situation and someone has control of their devices and their socials, etc. What I recommend is that you just get together face-to-face, have a conversation, and while you have your friend with you, just share some links on your phone that maybe at a later date she can um, check into. I also invite women to join us on Facebook at Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse, and the same goes with that group. We ask that you be in a place of physical safety before you join our group, where someone else no longer has access to your socials, to your devices, so that you are not put in greater danger. But we are here more for the after um, and the cleanup and the rebuilding and the healing that comes once you have gotten to safety. So today I want to cover a topic that is heavier than normal, and I know that normally our topics are not light at all, but this just comes on the heels of being made aware of a situation in my own community that was just brought to light yesterday, and I, to say that I'm reeling, that I'm spinning, that I am nauseated, that I am just disgusted. I am grieved. I I can't even find a strong enough word to describe what I feel right now. But it was just brought out in the news yesterday that a local businessman in our community that um, is well known. Oh, wow. Let me go grab the words here because I don't want to say the right thing, the wrong things here. I want to make sure that I get the verbiage correct. So um, I believe the word is convicted, but I want to make sure I have this. (laughs) this all, um, up and up. I'm not dropping names. Um, yeah, just because this is more common than not. That's the problem. This is not a isolated incident, just that it hit home because of it being in our community. He was found guilty this week of possessing and distributing child pornography. But I want to stop right there and say, this is the first thing. If you, if you walk away with two things today from this, this episode, there's two things I really want to just point out so that maybe we can know better and we can do better. This comes from the RAIN, R-A-I-N-N website. And this is a really important distinction. While the term child pornography is still widely used by the public, it's more accurate to call it what it is. Evidence of child sexual abuse. That's why Rain and others have stopped using the term child pornography and switched to referring to it as C-SAM, child sexual abuse materials. While some of the pornography online depicts adults who have consented to be filmed, and I, I like that they said some because not all, because a lot of pornography, even with adults, is not consensual. It is sex trafficking. It is abuse. While some of the pornography online depicts adults who have consented to be filmed, that's never the case 
when the images depict children. Just as kids can't legally consent to sex, they can't consent to having images of their abuse recorded and distributed. Every explicit photo or video of a kid is actually evidence that the child has been a victim of sexual assault. So I want to just drive that point home today. Would we stop calling it child pornography and would we refer to it as it is child sexual abuse materials or CSAM? That is one thing that's just really, it gets under my skin and it really causes me, um, to feel extremely triggered when we minimize by calling it pornography. It is not pornography. These children are children. They have been sexually abused and they have not consented because they're children and they don't have the ability. So if you're not familiar with RAIN, I invite you to follow them. You can also call. It's 800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. 656-HOPE, which is 4673. And they have um, a place on their website where you can actually live chat and you can get help 24-7. So that's the first um, resource that I want to point out today to you. And let's call it what it is. Let's stop calling it something that it's not because it minimizes the harm and the abuse and the terror that children are enduring. I also want to point out a resource that I listen to every single week. So while I was a part of Give Her Wings Academy, I was introduced to Jimmy Hinton and his mama, Clara Hinton. I have also um, interviewed both of them on this podcast, so you can go back towards the beginning of this podcast and you can find my episode with Jimmy and then somewhere kind of in the middle you can find my interview with Clara. Also Clara was part of our Safer Spaces Summit that we hosted last year with I believe eight, nine, ten other advocates, authors, writers, leaders in the abuse um, advocacy world and I have learned so much. So they have currently 242 episodes of their podcast. And if I am not mistaken, I believe I've listened to every single one. So to say that I have put hours and hours and hours into studying this topic, into learning from people who are on the front lines, Um, Jimmy does trainings. He has done trainings for churches, for law enforcement, for schools, etc., He is one who has dug deeply and read books that I never want to read, all right? He has been willing to learn to get inside the minds of predators. I don't have any desire whatsoever to read the books that Jimmy has read, but I am willing to listen to him sum up and explain what he has learned as he has done this research. This is a topic that is so dark, so vile, that I get physically ill when I begin to study it deeply. And so what I appreciate about Jemmy and Clara is that they bring this to us and they present it in a way that the average person who is sitting on church at church on Sunday morning needs to know better and do better. We have a responsibility. We have an obligation to our children. If I get teary this during this episode, you're just going to have to excuse me because this is something that shakes me to the core. <laughs> This shakes me to the core. I was a mama 
when my kids were little who wanted to protect my children from this reality. I was a mama who learned in 2011, I started learning about human trafficking. And I will tell you more about that that resource in a little bit because I don't want to sidetrack and money trail too much. But this is something that since this reality was brought to me around 2008, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there, I began to educate my own children, other people's children and adults about the reality of human trafficking. But when you take it to the, the next level and it involves children, there are no words that I can put to how evil that is. And when we minimize And when we allow these people to then come back into our churches and our communities, we become part of the problem. And I feel very strongly about that. And Jimmy will tell you, and anyone who has researched this, and anyone who has learned from studying predators, they will tell you over and over again that these people do not belong anywhere near children ever, ever. Even when you can see them with your eyes, You do not know the harm that is being done. And take, for example, Rachel Hollander and the Larry Nasser case. And if you're not familiar with Rachel, she is an incredible fierce advocate for children because of her own story and what was done to her. Her book is called What is a Girl Worth? And then she has written books for children called How Much is a Little Girl Worth and How Much is a Little Boy Worth. And if you believe that a covenant that a predator signs and assigning them a chaperone to walk with them through your church building is sufficient, you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. And any church that allows someone who's been convicted, and we're not even including the many, many, many who will never be convicted, okay? But once they have been convicted, if you allow them into your church, you are part of the problem. I can't, can't mince words with that. It is time to know better and do better. And what we're finding is that churches will have these covenants that only pastors or leaders in the church even know there's a convicted child predator in their midst. They'll be aware they can protect their women and their children from this monster, but the general population does not know. And assigning him a chaperone to walk with him through the church building is not enough. Because as Rachel's story goes, as Larry Nasser gave us the example, he was preying upon and harming children right in front of their parents. You cannot protect children from these people. They get off on doing the harm right in front of the adults who are supposed to be protecting the children. Keep them out. If you want a really good reference and resource for this, read the New Testament. (laughs) Read the New Testament. Jesus describes wolves and he says, keep them away from sheep. Okay? Keep them away from sheep. In nature, In nature, wolves and sheep cannot be together. It does not work. But we think that somehow we're going to do that inside of our churches and our schools and our communities. Come on, people. Wake up. I'm not mincing words. I am not going to be pretty with what I say because what they have done is not pretty. And expecting people to be polite in their words and polite in their approach to these wolves is ridiculous. So 
study and research the Speaking Out on Sex Abuse podcast with Jimmy and Clara Hinton. You can scroll through the titles of each episode and you can find specific trainings, the ones that speak um, specifically to schools, to churches, keeping your kids safe online, um, not requiring your children to hug. Oh my goodness, this, this is one thing I really wish that I had understood when my kids were younger. We need to teach children very, very young about consent and not requiring them to hug all the family members. If they have a resistance or an instinct and they don't want to hug someone, we should not be forcing that on them. It's not saying that every person that your child doesn't want to hug is a predator. We're not saying that, but we need to teach children very young to name their body parts with the proper anatomy so that they can describe if harm is being done to them. We need to teach them that they can say no. We need to tell them that they can come to us at any point and tell us if someone has done something to harm them and that we will believe them. We will we will move on their behalf, that they do not have to fear our response in that. We need to connect them with resources, counselors, therapists who can help them if the harm has been done. That they need to know that we are a safe place that they can come to. I can't cover all the ins and the outs in this one podcast of how to prepare our kids, but Jimmy and, and Clara have so many episodes that teach you how to do just that. It's the Speaking Out on Sex Abuse podcast on all major podcast platforms. I I listen to it on Spotify every single week. And then Jimmy wrote the book, The Devil Inside. So why do Jimmy and Clara care? The tag on his book, The Devil Inside, is how my minister father molested kids in our home and church for decades and how I finally stopped him. Okay, that's why Jimmy cares. Because back in, I believe it was 2012, his own sister came forward and shared about the harm that their father had caused her. And from that, an investigation came and they did the very they did the right thing. Clara and Jimmy went immediately to local law enforcement and turned him in even though he was a pastor, even though it was Jimmy's father, even though it was Clara's husband. They did the right thing and just by that act alone, they give us the example of what you are to do. Churches you are not equipped to investigate crimes. You're not turn that over to the authorities. Thankfully, in the Hinton's case, their law enforcement, their local law enforcement did everything they should have done, and they were there for victims. We know that's not always the case in every community. A lot of times law enforcement will cover up. Sometimes law enforcement is even involved in the crimes themselves, but thankfully for Jimmy and Clara in their situation, um, they had amazing, amazing help. I want to read one of my absolute favorite chapter, um, paragraphs from Jimmy's book. It's on page 152. And this is a message to all Christ followers, whether you attend a small home church or whether you attend a mega church. Predators do not belong inside of churches. They just don't. Wolves do not belong with sheep. He says on page 152, in addition to our small church that meets in person, we decided to start live streaming services to specifically provide a means for the spiritual outcasts to worship and find community once again. Too many abuse survivors are cast out of the church because they are deemed too bitter, too unforgiving, too emotional, and the list goes on. 
These quote-unquote outcasts are beautiful souls who, in addition to being abused, lost their church community and are shunned by the very people who should have reached out with a helping hand. Many abuse survivors cannot physically step inside a church building because of the level of trauma they've experienced. Instead of receiving understanding, most of them receive insults. They're told that they don't really love the church or that they're too lazy or too bitter to return. I don't look at it that way. Survivors have been badly wounded, both by their abusers and by their church. My congregation doesn't look down on them. We welcome them. Where other churches are welcoming predators and shunning victims, we are welcoming victims and shunning predators. Let me read that sentence again. Where other churches are welcoming predators and shunning victims, we are welcoming victims and shunning predators. That is what every church everywhere should be doing. Victims, you are welcome here. This is a safe place. We are working to become safer. We are willing to learn. We are willing to sit and listen to the experts and listen to the ones who have been harmed to make this a safer space for you and predators get out. Just like a shepherd should take his staff and stand to protect his flock of sheep and tell the wolves they are no longer welcome and they need to get, get, get. That is what a godly, Christ-like, Christ-following leader will do when wolves come to threaten their congregation. I'm going to read just the... um, the back cover of Jimmy's book, The Devil Inside. It says, when Jimmy Hinton's sister confided in him that their own father had sexually abused her, Jimmy was both dismayed and spurred into action. His father, a respected minister in the community, was a predator who used his role behind the pulpit to secretly molest and abuse countless victims. Turning his father over to the police, Jimmy became a tireless advocate and voice for the victims. His pursuit of justice would eventually result in his father's confession and subsequent conviction. Haunted by the discovery of his father's grotesque acts against children, Jimmy, also a pastor, works to restore the very church that his dad had perpetrated such, where his dad had perpetrated such sickening acts. He was determined to protect others and to nurture an environment of healing in the aftermath of abuse. Today, he relentlessly studies and exposes the deception techniques that predators like his father use to molest, harm, abuse, and terrorize children. The Devil Inside, Jimmy Hinton. The Speaking Out on Sex Abuse podcast with Jimmy and Clara Hinton. Also, remember Rachel Denhollander, What is a Girl Worth? My journey into understanding and beginning to have my eyes open to the hellish reality of human trafficking began in probably 2008, 9, 10-ish, somewhere in there. I then went on to become part of several human trafficking type education, advocacy type organizations. Um, Those were not necessarily good experiences for me. Um, I'm finding that a lot of so-called human trafficking ministries are not in the least bit trauma-trained, abuse-trained, and they don't necessarily offer people the healing resources to, when they come out of that, to get healed and whole. There's a lot of spiritual bypassing. 
There's a lot of throwing Bible verses at people. There's a lot of just ignoring the trauma. So if you are aware of truly trauma-trained resources that help the survivors and the victims of human trafficking, please message me. And I will do some digging to find out if they are indeed truly trauma-trained because I have heard so many stories from survivors of human trafficking who have then gone to either churches or organizations for help and they have been further harmed. And they have been accused of all kinds of horrible things when in reality they needed someone to see them and help them get through and work through their trauma. It is not a one and done. I remember one organization said that it takes 365 days just to have a survivor believe that you're trustworthy because they have been harmed and they have been exploited and anyone who has come to them and pretended that they cared about them has actually done horrific harm to them. So as an organization that comes in to help them in the aftermath, we've got to show up consistently. We've got to show up um, time and time again. We have to get the education ourselves. We have to do the deeper work ourselves to get through our own trauma so that when we are working with them, we're not, we are going to be triggered by other people's trauma. We need to have tools and, and know how to ner- uh, regulate our nervous system and not just say, oh, just pray this verse, pray this prayer and say this verse and you'll be fine. That is absolutely not adequate. Their brains have been injured. Their bodies have been injured. Their entire system you know, reproductive systems and their digestive systems and their um, immune system, like everything is affected by the abuse and the trauma that their bodies have endured. And just like we said in previous episodes of this podcast, that when you have endured emotional abuse, you have endured physical abuse. And that's not even to say the harm that's been done to their physical bodies. So if you're aware of actual trauma trained people that really truly understand what they are doing in this realm, please message me and I will do some digging and get to know those organizations. But the one that I was kind of introduced and really began my education process is Exodus Cry. I have followed Benji. um, I believe it's Nolo. I think that's how you say his name. I followed him for about 15 years now. They created a documentary called Exodus Cry. And if you are not familiar with that organization, I'm sorry, they created, the organization is Exodus Cry. The documentary is Nefarious Merchant of Souls. If you have not um, followed Benji, followed Exodus Cry, or watched the documentary Nefarious, that is a really good starting place. With older teens, um, I obviously recommend that you watch things yourself. Um... For younger, you know, younger kiddos before you present it to your kids because you're going to need to work through some stuff yourself before you sit with your kids and watch it. But I believe this is a really important thing that we need to be talking to our kids about. Um, Pretty young on and, you know, age appropriate, of course. But the reason I love this documentary is because they follow and they explore the realities of human trafficking on every continent. And they follow the stories. I believe it's four women, maybe. And of the four, I think three of them do have a more redemptive story. But I want to say that even though the documentary back in 2011 when it was released, (coughs) even though it, you know, shares those stories, know that these are real people with real lives 
their stories continue. Their stories to this day are still hard and they're still riddled with trauma. And I became like friends with one of these women online and got to know a little bit more of her story. I follow another one of these women who has a ministry to survivors. Just because they have a quote-unquote happy ending inside the documentary does not mean that their story is over and their trauma is over just because the documentary was released. They're real people with real stories and their trauma, they need to continue working through this for the rest of their lives. This is this is hard stuff, y'all. This is heavy stuff. So I highly recommend following Benji, Exodus Cry, and watching the documentary Nefarious, Merchants of Souls. And then you go on and you get more specific with the children and the reality of what's happening to our children. And an organization that I follow is OUR, Operation Underground Railroad, with Tim Ballard. So Tim, I believe, is ex-military. And he, when he became aware of the realities of what was happening to children, he started his own task force. And he goes all over the world and he trains and (laughs) navigates. And um, again, my trauma brain is not giving me the word right now that I need. Um, Executes, he executes these amazing rescues for children. And I don't even know how people like Benji and Tim, I don't know how they do what they do day in and day out. God bless people like this. I recently heard um, Benji do an interview with Sheila Ray Gregor on the Bear Marriage Podcast. And multiple times he got very emotional. And that was actually very comforting to me. He talked about his need for therapy. I find great comfort in knowing that these people know that they need to have someone to help them work through and process. And I found great comfort in the fact that Benji still gets emotional after all these years, all the things he's seen, because it would be very easy to just put a wall up and not allow yourself to feel because feeling is, it's paralyzing at times. It's crippling at times because they see things with their eyes, hear things with their ears that no human being should ever have to, but they're choosing to do this because they care. And so um, Tim with OUR, um, Operation Underground Railroad, you can follow um, the cases that they, um, they are currently executing. <laughs> Why can't I keep finding that word? Another really, really powerful book that I want, and it is a thin book. It is probably, it doesn't have page numbers on it for some reason. It's probably like less than 40 pages and it's big print, bold print, and lots of pictures. So I'm telling you, this is in the simplicity realm, this is an easy read. In the reality of what they're talking about, not an easy read. It's called Myths We Believe, Predators We Trust by Sarah McDougall and Darren Pratt. And they include 37 things you don't want to know about abuse in church, but you really should. Let me read that again. Myths We Believe, Predators We Trust by Sarah McDougall and Darren Pratt. 37 things you don't want to know about abuse in church, but you really should. One of the most important points that they make in this book, hear this, hear this. The average predator has 50 to 150 victims before their first arrest. I'm going to read that again. The average predator has 50 to 150 victims before their first arrest. Fewer than six out of every 1,000 rapists 
ever spend a single day in jail. Repeat, fewer than six out of every 1,000 rapists ever spend a single day in jail. That is staggering. That is absolutely staggering. Some never spend a single day in jail. And when we look at ones like the one that was just made known in our community, when we look at ones like Jimmy Hinton's father, the multiple convictions is probably representation of 50 to 150 times more that they weren't actually convicted of. That is staggering. That is, I almost can't breathe when I think about that. I'm going to read some of these myths, okay? We still have time. I'm not going to read you this entire book. It is a quick read, but I believe that every person should read this book yesterday. Myth number one. This is a myth. Ignoring abuse doesn't impact evangelism. The truth is handling abuse in ways that are biblically redemptive yet legally sound is absolutely vital to the success of evangelism and retention in the faith community. We become collaborators in abuse when we ignore those who are being exploited or abused, when we prioritize the protection of abusers higher than their accountability for sin, or when we ignore or dismiss the need to extend safety and support to victims. Myth number two, churches are safe because we are a family of believers. False. The truth is we catch very few of the perpetrators in church. The worst are still moving freely in church. Clever perpetrators pass background checks, cheerfully complete safety trainings, and charmingly navigate the church system. The, this is me now, not the book. Churches are a playground for abusers because we have cheapened grace. We have weaponized the concepts of forgiveness and bitterness. Wow. And they know that. And they just come marching on in. I was told by one church, after sharing um, some of my background and some of my story, I was told abusers and the abused are welcomed here. Run, y'all, run. If you hear abusers are welcomed here, run. I was found out after a while that there was a convicted sex offender that was serving on a committee in this in this church. No. Hell no. Not okay. <clears throat> Did the average person in that congregation know that there was a convicted sex offender in their midst? Of course not. And putting that person in charge of any type of committee, not acceptable at all. Myth number three, abusers are easy to spot, socially awkward, and tend to stay on the fringes. No, no, and no. Abusers intentionally cultivate trust in the community is the truth. Number four, myth number four, my church is filled with really nice people. I probably don't know any perpetrators of abuse. And I'm sure that everybody right now in my community that is seeing this news come forward is, is a little bit stunned. Now, what are they going to do about it? What are they going to do about it? this knowledge now? Oh, he's still a good guy. No, he's not. The truth is abusers can be your best friends, colleagues, leaders, or peers. An abuser will often work their way into positions of trust, leadership, or authority over many years before ever getting caught or even triggering suspicion. 
Their roles may range from organizational leader, a source of prestige, to the janitor, a source of access and invisibility, which is a different type of power. Another great, great um, resource. I haven't read it. I don't think I have the stomach to read it, but I've heard from people that I trust. Is the book Predators by Anna C. Salter. Predators by Anna C. Salter. Myth number five. Predators wouldn't dare show up in my church. Truth. Abusers are absolutely in church, and we suspect every church. They tend to choose vulnerable groups, situations, churches, and victims, which allow them to control the narrative perpetuate abuse, manipulate the evidence, blame the victim, and usually get away with it. Abusers are masters at honing in on weaknesses that allow them to exploit places and people. The more closed a community is, the more a culture tends toward authoritarian mindset, giving one gender power over the other or placing unchecked influence in the hands of spiritual leaders. The more a congregation equates forgiveness with trust, the greater the risk of abuse taking place and being covered up. Myth number six, real abuse is obvious. The truth, when the story breaks, you wouldn't want to believe it. Your first reaction will likely be to think the victim must have made it up, is confused, or is telling lies. You might assume the alleged abuser must have surely been encouraged or invited by the victim in some way. Stop, 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 stop. Children cannot consent. Their children. Myth number seven. Most reports of abuse are made up by people pretending to be victims. The truth. Statistics show that 95 to 98 of abuse reports are true. Okay? So, yes, there may be 2 to 5% of allegations that are false. Okay? We know that that happens. We know that it happens. I have walked with people in situations where that has happened. But what we do is we begin by believing and and trusting the allegation, and then we turn it over to the authorities, let them do their investigation. And if someone is falsely accusing, there may be an underlying issue that they need help with as well. And they refer here to RAIN.org. So R-A-I-N-N.org. <clears throat> so I'm not going to read through all of these. Um, myth number nine I have already referred to. Abusers don't usually have multiple victims. The truth is there is rarely ever just one victim. In reality, the average perpetrator has 50 to 150 victims before their first arrest and many more after arrest. Rarely does an initial arrest lead to charges or prosecution. Fewer than six out of every 1,000 rapists ever spend a single day in jail. Predators nearly always have multiple victims and will often have several victims at the same time in various grooming stages or degrees of abuse. They go on 37 of these myths. Ah, let me do this one. Myth 18. If an abuser has acted repentant for at least six months, we should trust them again. False. Truth. Long-term accountability needs to last longer than you think. By definition, abusers already live double lives and are capable of overwhelming levels of deceit. This factor must be considered in an assessment, in any assessments of genuine repentance. Abuse recovery experts state that an abuser needs to participate in professional therapy three to four times per week for at least four to five years before authentic change can even be assessed. 
comparatively short stints of persuasive confessions, good behavior, rehabilitation, therapy, or other interventions will not result in lasting change and cannot be the basis of restored trust or reinstatement. And this is where we refer to Psalm 82 initiative. They have an incredible article. If you just Google Psalm 82 initiative repentance, you should get an article that talks about the steps and the requirements for true repentance. One thing is that they have to confess and admit that they've done this. If they are still denying it, they are nowhere near being repentant. But choosing to submit themselves to professional therapy, and there are very few that are equipped to do this, so you're going to want to do your research to find out who is actually trained to work with these offenders three to four times per week for at least four to five years before you can even assess whether or not. And they still probably are not safe. So allowing them to come into our churches, allowing them to come into places where they can have more victims, if we're allowing that, we become part of the problem. So that is Miss We Believe, Predators We Trust by Sarah McDougall, Darren Pratt. Please read this book. Please get this into the hands of your leadership. Ask your leaders, do we have a covenant with convicted sex offenders in this church? Are there men or women who are walking around our churches who are convicted offenders? We're not even talking about the ones that haven't been convicted. Refer again to Jimmy and Clara and their podcast about how to begin to make our churches safer. Criminal background checks are not even... They're, they're just like the bare minimum that you can do. Most of these people have never been convicted. A lot of times they accept plea deals so that they don't even have something on their record. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Do plea deals still go on your record? Perhaps they do. Don't. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. But they get lesser charges for sure a lot of times. Um, several women that I personally know were featured in the documentary, um, Sins of the Amish. Is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. It's a documentary. Let me see if I can pull up which streaming service. And some of these women I personally know. Jimmy Hinton is actually featured in this documentary as well. And the realities of what is happening in playing communities in Amish communities, in Mennonite communities. Um, I was made aware recently of just, I have a lot of friends who have come out of the Pentecostal holiness movement. Um, Sins of the Amish is on Peacock. So that's a very eye-opening documentary about the realities of this happening to children inside of um, the Amish and the Mennonite communities. A lot of times, the more um, simply and plainly (laughs) these communities dress, the more evil. I know that's kind of a blanket statement, but I have just heard stories um, about these communities that fixate on how people dress and will excommunicate people for very ridiculous things while they're allowing child rape to occur under their noses. And they're covering up their leaders that are doing this. And 
I know this is a very heavy thing and probably extremely triggering. I will put a trigger warning on the show notes because, yes, this is hard. If you're a survivor of this, please, please know that this was not your fault. Please know that no child and no adult ever does anything to deserve to be raped, assaulted, molested, trafficked. That is not your fault. You do not deserve it. There's nothing that you did, no decision that you made that set you up that said, I deserve this. So please hear me when I say that you are worthy to be seen and you are worthy to be heard and you are worthy to be believed. And there are people out there that will believe you and will see you. And so please, please reach out to organizations like Rain. Reach out to Jimmy and Clara Hinton. Read Sarah McDougall's book. Read Jimmy's book. Read Rachel Den Hollander's book. Watch Sons of the Amish. There are so many people that are fighting for you to be seen and heard and believed and healed. Some states have statute of limitations. I think it's slowly changing. I believe there should never be a statute of limitation on being able to report these things because children are usually threatened and deceived and coerced into staying quiet. And it's not until they become adults that they even are aware of what happened to them and they begin to see the lights go on. So I just hope that in time <clears throat> that every <clears throat> every state, every country removes the statute of limitations so that these people can be brought to justice. And I say it's partial justice. I don't say that there's ever enough justice on the earth that can make up for the harm that has been done to these survivors, but at least partial justice. And one really good way that a church could could show that they care and that they want to help is they could help provide mental health resources for these people especially if the harm was done within your church walls. The very baseline minimum you could do if you have found out that a leader in your church has has done this to someone is ask this victim for trauma-trained, abuse-trained, quote-unquote secular therapist who can help them and foot that bill. That is just the baseline, I believe with all my heart, that is a baseline for what someone can do to help someone begin to heal. So this is me. This is my heart. This is one thing I'm very passionate about. This is one thing that causes me to weep like nothing else. I have to be very careful how much digging and how much research I do personally because of the heaviness of this. And yet I also feel that I have a responsibility to speak. So if you are a survivor of this type of abuse, please know that you are loved. You are seen. Someone out there will believe you. I am not trained to help you walk through this, okay? I know my limitations. I know my lane. But I will do my best to help point you towards resources that are trained and that can help you. Because you are precious. You are priceless. You are valuable. Your story is not over. You're still here. You are still alive. You still have breath in your lungs. You still have blood in your veins. And I am glad that you're still here. And even on your hardest, darkest day, I am so proud of you for existing. I'm so proud of you for still being here. I don't even know how to end this. Church, we have a responsibility.
we have to know better and we have to do better. And if you want to learn how to do that, these are some of the people that I recommend you reach out to and you start learning from. God help us. God help the ones who have been harmed. And please bring justice on this earth. Oh, God. The hope I have is that more and more organizations and more and more individuals are rising up, are speaking out. And the brave warriors, the brave survivors that I have met are becoming, a lot of them are becoming voices themselves. Because once you've been through this and you've gotten to the other side and you have received some help and some healing you you want to go back into that fire and pull others out so I see you brave warriors I see you if you are still in the midst of your healing do not feel that you have to constantly be going back into the fire and being triggered it's okay to take time for you it's okay to take time to get your healing and to get stronger before you go back in firefighters have to have proper gear and proper training and oxygen tanks before they go into the fire so make sure that you're doing that for yourself it is okay to take time to heal you are loved you are seen you are believed and i pray that you will feel held today even as you are being healed